Good morning, church. So very good to see you. It's been a couple weeks since I've gotten to be with you. I was out sick last week. I so appreciate Mark Bryson filling in for me, and I appreciate your encouragement and your prayers. And because it's been so long, you know that I'm going to tell you that I love and appreciate you so very much. Sometimes when I'm standing there during the song before the sermon, I just get kind of overwhelmed with how much I love being part of this church and what I know God is doing and will do through this church. This year, we're talking about the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is all about the church. Luke describes for us how the church during those first few years after the ascension of Jesus, how Satan threw everything he could at the church to try to stop them. They had problems that they faced, both internal and external problems. They faced poverty. They faced persecution. But through it all, they were unstoppable. They were unstoppable because they walked with Jesus, because they were filled with the Holy Spirit, because they were doing the will of God. And I believe, I am firmly convinced that McDermott Road is an unstoppable church. Amen? I believe that McDermott Road is an unstoppable church. I believe that no matter what is thrown at us, I believe that we can press on and do the will of our Lord Jesus. But I also believe that for many of us, in order for us to be an unstoppable church, it's going to require that many of us go through a paradigm shift. It's going to require that many of us go through a paradigm shift for us to rethink how we think about ourselves, how we think about others, and how we think about God. And one of the reasons that it's going to require a paradigm shift is because our culture has trained us in almost every area of our life to think of ourselves as consumers. Am I right? Almost every area of our life, we've been trained to think of ourselves as consumers. From the food that we eat, to the clothes that we wear, the cars that we drive, the houses that we live in, the insurance we buy, our education, our health care, everything, we are trained to think about ourselves as consumers. And unfortunately, we have the tendency to bring that way of thinking into the church. And we think of ourselves as members of the church, as consumers. And so everything that we do, from the classes that we attend, to the ministries that we're involved in, to the very worship that we participate in, we have this tendency to think of ourselves as consumers. How does this benefit me? What's in it for me? What am I getting out of this? And church, this this is a huge deal. In fact, I'm going to make a, a really strong statement that the greatest threat, the greatest threat to Christianity today is not from secular institutions, but from churches who have abandoned the mission of Jesus to cater to Christian consumerism. Let me say that one more time. That the greatest threat to Christianity today is not from secular institutions, but from churches who are abandoning the mission of Jesus in order to cater to Christian consumerism. 
that we have this tendency to make church attenders to cater to consumerism instead of making disciples. We have this tendency to show up and say, how does this church minister to me instead of how is this church training me and equipping me and maturing me to minister to others? The church exists not to minister to me, but to train me to minister to others. The church exists not to minister to you, but to train you to minister to others. Now, of course, you're going to be ministered to in the process. But do we see how that's a paradigm shift? Do we see how there is there is a huge difference between showing up and saying, how is the church ministering to me? And showing up saying, how is the church training me to minister to others? This church doesn't just have six or eight or ten ministers. This church has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of ministers. And if you are a child of God and you're part of this congregation, you are supposed to be one of her ministers. Always being trained and equipped to minister to your family, to your neighbors, to the church, to the world, in the name of Jesus Christ. See, that's what the church in Acts was. The church in Acts was a group of Christians who were not only being saved and being ministered to, they were being equipped and trained and taught and matured to go out and to minister to others. They didn't think of themselves as consumers, but as disciples. And if McDermott Road is going to be an unstoppable church, if any church is going to be an unstoppable church, we have got to abandon consumerism and embrace discipleship. We have to decide we are going to embrace the mission and the vision of Jesus for ourselves individually and for us collectively and instead of showing up to say, how is the church ministering to me? We're going to start asking, am I being equipped and trained and matured to minister to other people? And as we read through and study through and think through the book of Acts, we have to start asking those hard questions about ourselves. Am I a consumer or am I a disciple. If you will, look at the book of Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in the beginning anyway, the same text that we were in last week. Mark did a fantastic job, but I want to focus on just a little bit different area in this passage. In Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 44, Luke says, and all who believed, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, there's so many observations we could make just from that passage there. One is this generosity was, was voluntary. It wasn't forced. 
Nobody's saying, okay, okay, listen up. Here's what you have to do. You have to sell everything. You have to give to everybody who has need. No, it was voluntary. They were choosing. They were choosing to do this. And, and it was rooted in what they believed about Jesus. What they believed about Jesus. They believed that Jesus really was the king of the universe, that Jesus really was raised from the dead, that Jesus really was reigning at the right hand of God, that the new age of the Messiah's reign had begun to be ushered in, that this was it. This was the time that we were looking for. This is what we were hoping for. This is what we were anticipating. This is it. The Messiah reigns. And if that was true, and because that was true, and because they believed that to be true, they said, then, then what good is this stuff that I have except to bless and minister to and help my brothers and sisters who are in need? And they were willing to share with everyone, everyone who believed. They had all things in common. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? They had all things in common. That means they were willing to share with each other. Nothing was off limits. Nothing was reserved. Nothing was exclusive. Like, hey, yeah, y'all can have this stuff, but this stuff over here, this is mine. This is exclusively for me. We have that phrase in Spanish. I love, and I've said it before, mi casa es su casa. That's all things in common. My house is your house. My stuff is your stuff. What belongs to me belongs to you because we're both in Christ. And if you're in Christ and I'm in Christ, then whatever I have that you need, it belongs to you. Now, over the years, I, I've heard Christian preachers and Christ, church members sort of dismiss what's going on right here in the book of Acts. We sort of focused on certain things like how they worshiped or how they got baptized. And we said, we've got to restore this stuff and we've got to practice this stuff. But this whole all things in common stuff, I don't know about that. This is just as much a part of the story. And this is what Christianity looked like in the first century. And it's what Christianity should look like in the 21st century. Where we say, if you are my brother or my sister in Christ, then what I have, you have. What belongs to me belongs to you. And church, we've got to wrestle with the fact that too many times, in too many places, in too many churches, this has not been practiced. Too many times in too many churches, people have said, well, you don't look like me. You don't come from the same neighborhood I come from. You don't speak the same language. We don't have the same skin color. We don't have this in common or that in common. And so I'm not going to look out for your needs and your hurts and your wounds the same way that I would look out for my own or for my own families. That is not in keeping with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not okay for us to say, hey, yeah, we'll do the whole baptism thing and we'll do the whole Lord's Supper thing. We'll do the whole prayer thing, but we're not so interested in taking care of each other's needs. That's not okay. And if you're in Christ and I'm in Christ and if Christ really does reign as king of the universe, 
then what belongs to me belongs to you. And if you're in need, and I have the ability and the means and the resources to meet your needs, then my beliefs about Jesus and my beliefs about you and my beliefs about the world that Jesus reigns over, that it should so transform me and change me that I'm willing to share anything I have to meet your needs. This is what Christianity looks like. This is what Christianity looks like when it's not just consumerism to say, how can you minister to me? How can you make me feel better about my life and the afterlife? But a Christianity that changes and transforms how we treat everybody else. That within the body of Christ, we say, if you're a believer and I'm a believer, then what I have belongs to you. It's all available to you. Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, I want us to think about that phrase. He says, glad and generous hearts. Glad in that they were joyous. They were celebrating. They were saying, this is, this is feast time. Why? Because the Messiah reigns. Because the Messiah is forgiving us. Because the Messiah is welcoming us into his family, into his kingdom. Everything has changed. Everything is different. The Messiah is king of the world. And so they're celebrating with one another with glad hearts. It's joyous time. It's celebration time. It's feast time. And, and that hasn't changed, has it? We should still have that celebratory mindset to say the Messiah really does reign. Jesus really has been raised from the dead. The tomb is empty and the throne is occupied. Jesus is king. And so we celebrate with each other and we share with each other. It says that their hearts were glad and Generous. That's one way to translate that word generous. Another way your translation may say sincerity. Or, or one other way would be simplicity. It's about, it's about having one thought, one idea, not complicated by competing ideas and competing interests, but generous and sincere because it's wholehearted. It's like Luke is saying, they were all in. I'm all in. in. Everything I am, everything I have, I'm willing to sell anything or give anything away or share anything because I'm all in. And isn't that what the gospel teaches us to do? Isn't that what Paul says in Romans chapter 12? He says, based on the mercies of God, we should offer ourselves, our bodies, as a living sacrifice to God. And if we've done that, if we said, God, my hands are yours, my mouth is yours, my feet are yours, my clothes are yours, my house is yours, my car is yours, my family is yours, everything I am and everything I have, it belongs to you. If we've really done that, then what's a loaf of bread? Then what's a, a plot of land? Then what's a boat or a car or a house? 
If it all belongs to him, if we've really sacrificed everything, if we've really said, I'm all in, that's it. There's no compartments to my life where we're like, well, this is my Christian life and this is the percentage of my life I'm willing to give to God and to the church. But we say, it's all yours. Every bit of me, every ounce of blood, every breath of air, every dime in my pocket, it all belongs to the Lord. And if we've already given ourselves totally, sincerely, genuinely to the Lord, then, then what's, a, what's a house between brothers? What's a plot of land between sisters? What's a loaf of bread? We're willing to share everything because we've already offered our bodies as a living sacrifice. See, this is the difference, isn't it, between consumers and disciples? And what do you do when you're a consumer? When you're a consumer, you're willing to give something, right? When I go to eat this afternoon, I'm a consumer, and I'm willing to give them something, but I want something in return. And in fact, I really would like something of greater value in return than I give to them, or at least equal value. I want to give, but I'm only giving in order to receive. See, that's the difference between consumers and disciples because a disciple doesn't give in order to receive. A disciple gives because he's already received, because she's already received. Those who were being saved, I've already received. I've already received salvation. I've already been changed. I've already been transformed. I've already been accepted. I've already been loved. I've already been forgiven. And because I've already received this grace, I give, not in order to get back, not in order to receive. I give because I've already received. Consumers give in order to receive something. Disciples give because they've already received something. And that's the difference. But so many times we show up and we're willing to give something, but just to get something in return. Disciples say, I've already received everything. Jesus has already given everything. I've already been transformed. I've already been saved. I've already been sanctified. So therefore, I give everything to the Lord and to his people. And if there's a need that my stuff or my time or my resources can meet, it already belongs to him anyway. Let's skip ahead to Acts chapter 4. Because Luke uses very similar language to continue describing the church. Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. He says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And that's a, that's a powerful phrase, isn't it? And it hits me right between the eyes. I don't know about you. Nothing that belongs to me is my own. Nothing that belongs to me is my own. Now, here's here's what I've always had a tendency to do. I've always had a tendency to say, well, everything I have belongs to the Lord. And that's really easy to do, isn't it? To say, well, my, my car belongs to the Lord. My house belongs to the Lord. All my stuff belongs to the Lord. But guess what? The Lord very rarely calls me up and says, hey, Wes, I need to borrow your car. Very rarely has that happened. In fact, never has that happened. And so it's really easy to theoretically say everything I have belongs to the Lord. But what the church in Acts 4 is doing 
is they're saying everything belongs to my brothers and sisters. Now that's a whole lot different, isn't it? Because your brother or sister will call you up and say, hey, I need to borrow your car. I need to stay at your house. I need some money. I can't pay my bills. This really hurts. I need your help. And they said, everything that belongs to me is not my own. This doesn't belong to me exclusively. That doesn't mean that everybody sold every house, that nobody had any houses and nobody had any stuff. It means that everything they had, they held with an open hand. And they said, even though this belongs to me, it's not my own. And they were willing to sell it in order to bless others. They were willing to own less in order to bless more. They were willing to own less in order to bless more. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to own less in order to bless more? Are we willing to say, I'm not going to buy that extra this. I, I could afford a bigger this or a bigger that. I could have a little more of this or a little more of that. But I want to own less so that I can bless more. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. To say, everything that belongs to me is not my own. It not only belongs to the Lord, it belongs to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Wherever they're from, whatever they look like, whatever language they speak, wherever they've been, whatever's happened to them, if they're my brothers and sisters in Christ, then my stuff is their stuff. My house is their house. My car is their car. It doesn't belong exclusively to me. It belongs to me in order to bless others. Verse 33, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. See, this is the reality that changes our generosity. This is the theology that changes our generosity. If these things are true, if Jesus really has been raised from the dead, if I in Jesus have really received the grace and the mercy and the love and the riches of God, then why am I still holding on to my stuff with a death grip? They weren't because they really truly believed that the good news about Jesus was true. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, the picture that Luke is painting isn't just that through these humans, poverty was being eliminated within the church. Luke is really painting the picture that Jesus... And the work of the Holy Spirit was eliminating poverty within the church. That nobody was in need. That nobody was in need. Nobody within the church was going without food to eat. Nobody within the church was going without clothes on their back. No one within the church was going without shelter over their head. They took care of one another. And more importantly, Jesus was taking care of his people through his people. Jesus was answering the prayers of the needy people through the people who had resources. And Jesus still does that, doesn't he? 
Jesus still answers prayers through us. Sometimes God's plan for us is to be a conduit for blessings. That the reason he gave you that stuff in the first place was so that you could help meet the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ. So here's the question that I want us to think about. What if God's answer to their prayer is in your pocket? What if God's answer to their prayer is in your pocket? Your brother or sister who's in need, who's hurting, who needs food to eat or clothes to wear or shelter over their head, what if God is answering their prayer through you? But if we say, I'm not willing to let go of it, I've got too much stuff, I I got too big of stuff, I got all this stuff that I I want and I need and I'm consuming and I don't want to let go of these things to meet their needs. But what if, what if God's answer to their prayer is in your pocket? That's how God was meeting the needs of his people in the first century and that's how God continues to meet the needs of people today. He continues to meet their needs, not by making food out of thin air, not by making money out of thin air, but by blessing you with those things so that you could be a conduit for the resources that God has blessed you with to flow to other people. I heard a story just this week about a young man who this last year was graduating from high school. And there were rules and regulations about the pants that they needed to wear, you know, that stuck out under their graduation robe and the shoes that they had to wear. And this young man had nice slacks on and he had some nice black shoes on, but apparently the black shoes looked too much like tennis shoes and not enough like dress shoes. And so the person at the door said, you can't graduate. You can't walk across the stage with your friends because you're not wearing the right shoes. And of course he was devastated. He'd worked all year to walk across the stage with his friends and he saw, he saw a teacher that he knew, and he told him the situation. And that teacher was actually there to attend graduation for his daughter who was graduating from high school. But the teacher took his dress shoes off and put it on the shoes of the student, and the teacher attended barefoot. See, that's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. To say, these shoes, if you need them, they're yours. I'd rather be barefoot and have you have shoes on your feet. Maybe God is answering your prayers with what's in my pocket. Maybe the resources that God has given to me can be the answer to your prayers so that we can make sure that amongst us, amongst us, no one goes without food to eat. No one goes without clothes on their back. No one goes without shelter. No one is in need. And see, it's our theology that changes this. Nothing reveals our theology like our generosity. Nothing reveals our theology like our generosity. Do we, do we really believe this is, this is celebration time? Do we really believe that the tomb is empty and the throne is occupied? Do we really believe that the Messiah lives and reigns over heaven and earth? Do we really believe that he has ushered in his kingdom and that his kingdom is here to stay? And that the things of the world are passing away, but God's kingdom will live and last forever. Do we believe that? If we do, if we do believe that, we'll have glad and generous hearts. Hearts that say, I'm all in. 
I'm all in. I'm not here just to be ministered to. I'm here to be trained to minister to others. Everything I am, everything I have, every breath in my lungs, every drop of blood in my veins, every dime in my bank account, my house, my car, my clothes, everything belongs to the Lord and to his people. The only thing that can transform us into these kinds of people is good theology, is, is the truth, the reality that Jesus lives and Jesus reigns and that Jesus' kingdom is here to stay. And if we truly believe that, it will be revealed in our generosity where we will continue to have all things in common. And my house will be your house. My clothes will be your clothes. And your problems, they're not just your problems, they're my problems too. Because that's how family lives and treats one another. They share everything because they're in it together. And that's what good theology teaches us that we are. We are one body. And so the same concern that I would give to my finger if it was wounded, I would give to you because you are my fingers and my toes. I am your fingers and your toes. We are all part of the same body and we have to have that kind of common love and care. For one another. Nothing reveals our theology like our generosity. And as we do every week, we're going to offer an invitation. We're going to sing a song, we'll put a slide up on the screen, giving you some opportunities, some ways that you can respond today or tomorrow. But again, all of us respond to the gospel every single day. All of us respond to the gospel every single day. We get up and we decide, am I going to be a consumer or am I going to be a disciple? Am I going to expect the world to minister to me or am I going to go out and minister to the world? Am I going to be someone who takes, who, someone who is selfish or am I going to be someone who is selfless? Am I going to take up my cross and follow Jesus? So if you're ready today to be buried with Jesus in baptism or you need prayers or encouragement or if there's any way that we can help you or bless you, what's ours is yours. We are one body and we want to have everything in common. So if we can help you or bless you or pray for you or help you put Jesus on in baptism, now is a great opportunity to respond as together we stand and sing.